Shalom, everyone. It's time for Ancient Jewish Wisdom for a Modern World that will change your thinking and change your life. Welcome to the Dust of the Rabbi podcast with Rabbi Brian Baruch Belechi. Shalom, everyone. This is Rabbi Brian, and I'm glad you've joined us for another episode of the Dust of the Rabbi podcast. I'm so glad that you've joined us today. Here we are in our second season, eighth episode, talking about becoming a fruit bearer. We're going to talk about how to become productive in every area of our life. And I'm so glad that you're listening today because we've got so much to talk about. So let's talk about something that maybe everybody wants to know. And my phone's been blowing up and I've been getting a lot of questions by text and social media and messenger and Instagram and Maybe you're listening to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or iHeartRadio or maybe Audible or Amazon Music. Maybe you're watching on YouTube and maybe you're sending me questions to Rabbi underscore Brian and letting me know on Instagram or on Twitter or as they call it now X that you have questions concerning what's going on with Israel. And even up to this day, we know there's tension going on in Israel with Gaza, and 5,000 missiles were launched into Israel on October 7th, and we know that this caused 900 deaths of Israeli citizens. There is also 687 Palestinians that have died, and we have 11 Americans that have also died because of this conflict. Now, I'm talking about becoming a fruit bearer in every area of life, but you got to remember, God gave this promise to Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. He also told Israel that they would be in a fruitful land, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that he would give them that land. And the funny thing about the conflict is I've had a lot of people ask me, especially those with millennial mindsets, ask me questions about what's going on in Israel. I had a young gentleman who works for Apple. He asked me a question just yesterday, and I have to bring this up because it's so current and it's so fresh and it's so raw and so real. I want you to know that there are people asking real questions, not just about the Bible, but what's happening in our world today. And this young man just asked me, point blank, is Israel looking for any reason to go to war? And I had to say, hold on, let's talk about this for a minute, because that's what the Dust of the Rabbi is all about. It's about having a conversation, taking our faith back thousands of years to walk in the footsteps of the Messiah, to walk in the footsteps of the one that we could become dusty from his wisdom and his knowledge. And when you go back to the history of Israel, you have to understand that Israel was promised this land, that it was given to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. Through Jacob came 12 sons, which became the 12 tribes of Israel. And even though the land is promised to them, there were stipulations that as long as they love God with all their heart, soul, and strength, and love their neighbor as their self, and follow all of God's commands that we love one another. This is the same principle that Jesus, Yeshua, taught his disciples. Love one another as I have loved you. To love your neighbor as yourself is to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And I had to remind this young gentleman who was asking a real question that is really very important today. Was Israel looking for a reason just to go to war? And this has to be answered in light of what day it was it happened. You have to understand that this attack happened on the most holiest time of the year for Israel. And 50 years prior, the Yom Kippur War, Israel had an enemy that tried to do the same thing. It didn't work then. 
it won't work now, because Israel was keeping a Sabbath rest, and they were experiencing the eighth day after the Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot, that is called Shemini Atzeret in Hebrew, referring to an eighth-day assembly, which is now in Israel and one day later outside of the land of Israel, called Simchat Torah. And Simchat Torah is the rejoicing of the Torah, the rejoicing of all of its commands that command us to love, love God, love our neighbor as ourself. And so Israel and the Jewish community around the world we're at that time rolling the scroll back to Genesis as we did in our synagogue, Simchat Yeshua, Messianic Congregation. And I'm telling you that the essence of the Torah is love. It's the instructions of a loving father telling Israel not only that they would have the land, but what to do when they got into the land and how they were to treat their fellow neighbor as they would treat themselves because they never want to treat anybody the way they were treated in Egypt as foreigners and slaves. So this is not an issue with Israel mistreating the Palestinians. It's actually a paradigm shift to realize that most of these conflicts are happening with Palestinians attacking Israel. And this is always a response that Israel has to defend their country, defend their nation, defend their faith, defend their citizens. And you'll never see an Israeli going into a Palestinian area to stab, to wound, or to strap their body with bombs to destroy this is not what the Torah teaches. And as a rabbi, I have to tell you that Israel's not looking for a reason to go to war. They're looking for every reason to have shalom and peace. In fact, this happened on a day that we say Shabbat Shalom, a Sabbath peace of complete rest. So I want you to do something for me. I want you to agree with me in prayer that we will pray for Israel, because look at this promise God gave Israel. In Deuteronomy 33, 29, it says, Israel, you are blessed. No one else is like you. You are a people saved by the Lord, because he is your shield and helper. He's your glorious sword, and your enemies will be afraid of you. If there's one thing I've learned about battle is that when people attack you, many times they're actually afraid of you. And sometimes communication and conversation can fix conflict between individuals that are estranged from each other. If we were to go back to Israel's history, some of you might not know this, but the conflict goes back to Jacob and Esau. And Jacob became the nation Israel, and Esau became Edom. And what is known about the Palestinian people is their heritage really does not go to Palestina or the Philistines, which is a name that Rome gave Israel after they had destroyed Jerusalem and the city and the temple in 70 AD. And it was called Palestina because of the Plishtim or the Philistines. So this is not an issue of really looking at the descendants of the Philistines, but the descendants of Esau who are in conflict with their brother, Jacob. And if we could just realize that we're all brothers and love our enemy as we would love ourselves, how many know that applies to love your neighbors yourself, to even love your enemies as Yeshua taught? So I pray not only for Israel and the loss of 900 plus Israeli citizens, but I'm also praying for the Palestinians that are in the Palestinian Authority, and they are in need of comfort and love and protection as well. But that doesn't mean that we could allow what's going on in Israel to continue to happen. 
we have to know that Israel has a right to defend themselves, just as you and I as believers have a right to pray and believe. So I want to pray for Israel. I also want you to pray for our upcoming trip to Israel, because we were supposed to be going to Israel October 31st, and we're just waiting to hear from Gate One Travel if we're going to be able to go on our trip, or will it be postponed? But nonetheless, we want God's perfect will for the 50 plus people that are going on this tour that I get the privilege to lead with other pastors and leaders. So I'm excited about going to Israel regardless, and nothing's going to deter me, but I'm also wanting to go to a land that's fruitful, that's blessed, and I'd rather go when there's no war or conflict going on. So pray with me. Let's believe for Israel's safety and protection. Let's stand with Israel. Let's stand for the Jewish people. And let's pray for both Israel and the Palestinians that there will be peace among them, shalom in our home and our hearts and among these brothers. So I want you to continue to pray with me as we talk more about being fruitful, not only in the land of Israel, but how to be fruitful as a disciple of Yeshua, of Jesus. He had 12 disciples who were willing to follow him. And we have to know that they were becoming fully trained and they were embracing the spiritual disciplines that Jesus taught them. And becoming a disciple is much more than just having head knowledge. It's really about giving your whole heart, soul, and strength to God in love and devotion and loving your neighbor as yourself as you learn to walk in the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And the same way that Adam and Eve were going to fill the land with descendants, we are supposed to fill the land with disciples. We're supposed to be fruitful. We're supposed to multiply. And this is just like a farmer plants seed to reap a harvest. And Jesus, Yeshua, uses all this figurative language about vines and trees and branches Just as God spoke of Israel as a vine, as a vineyard, as trees of the field, and as flourishing branches, the branch of the Lord. So this is going to teach us how to be productive in every area of our life. Now, what we're going to have to do, we have to realize it's going to take some growth and some progress. It might even take some pruning, and it's going to take some patience for you and I to bear fruit. Maybe you've tried to be fruitful. Maybe you try to be productive, but you find it hard and difficult to pray effectively, to read your word consistently, to worship intentionally and with spiritual emphasis and heartfelt intention. I really believe that God wants you to be spiritually disciplined as a disciple of his. And I really believe that the lessons that we can learn today, we can learn from a fruit tree. Look what it actually says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 16. You want to learn how to be fruitful? You want to learn how to be productive? Come on, let's take a look at this great teaching of the Messiah. He says, you can tell a tree by its fruit. He says, do people pick grapes from bushes? Do people pick figs from thorns? Keep that in mind, figs. He says, in the same way, every good tree is going to bear forth good fruit, and a bad tree is going to bear forth bad fruit. And he says that a good tree can't bear bad fruit, and a bad tree can't bear good fruit. He says, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. He says, you can tell a tree by its fruit. There's also another great passage that talks about the vine or a vineyard, you know, 
one of the species that we see in Deuteronomy 8.8 that we celebrate for the Feast of Tabernacles that we just completed, the Feast of Sukkot, is that the land would be not only full of barley and wheat, but there would be vines for grapes to make wine, as there would be olives for oil, and there would be figs that they would use to make fig cakes and other desserts, as well as all of the precious fruit of the earth, like pomegranates and even dates to make honey. And this is so beautiful when you think about a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a land that has what's called these seven species, these seven produces of the land. Figs are one of them that we talked about in the last words of Jesus in Matthew 7 about trees bearing good fruit, as well as this image of Jesus, Yeshua, being a vine and God being the vine dresser. Now listen what these words say. Yeshua said, I am the vine, my father is the vine dresser, and every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes it away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, that it may bear much fruit. You are already clean or trimmed or pruned by the word that I have spoken to you. He says this, he says, abide in me, literally continue with me, let me abide in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide or continue in me, literally as my disciple. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He says, he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, but without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's cast as a branch and is withered and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they're burned. If you abide in me, watch this, and my words abide in you. Think about that. He wants us to abide in him, and the only way that happens is if his word abides in us. And this, my Father, is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Verse 16 says this, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed, or King James says, ordained you, that you should bear fruit, that fruit that should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Isn't that powerful? You can be so productive and effective in prayer that if the word of God is abiding in you, it's the same as you abiding in him. Because the words of the rabbi were the very words that you became dusty with. Or the words the rabbi is the very word or seed that gets planted in good soil that will reap a harvest. If you're talking about if you're talking about the metaphor of the vineyard, it produces grapes to make the wine or the grape juice. And when you talk about figs, it's the figs that produce the fig jam or the fig cakes that the Bible mentions. So that all of this productivity is producing fruitfulness in your life. I think what's so powerful about this is that Jesus, Yeshua says, I am the vine. Likewise, that means that we are the branches. And we know where the fruit grows. The fruit grows on the branches. So we become fruitful when we are connected to Jesus. We become fruitful when we're connected to Jesus. And then finally, don't think you can avoid this process. The Bible tells us that we produce more fruit when we are pruned. So I want you to think about a parable that Jesus taught about the fig tree. We call it the parable of the fruit bearer, and this is a fig tree that needs to be 
fertilized. You see, when Jesus talks about agriculture and farming, which is the major economy of Israel in the first century that Jesus was teaching in, we have to understand that a farmer or a gardener uses consistent wisdom and strategy to discern the times and the seasons for both sowing, pruning plants and trees, and preparing for the harvest. This is very important when it comes to how Jesus taught. He always taught in parables because he knew his audience could relate to these simple stories that dealt with their economy, their agriculture, their lifestyle. So think about how you can be more productive from this parable. You see, he talks about this fig tree. And as a teaching tool to develop mature disciples, he knows that his mission is for them to bear fruit so they can fulfill that mission also. So let's take a look at this story. Here it is. Jesus tells his parable and he says, a certain man has planted a fig tree. Where does he plant it? In a vineyard. Wow, we were talking about the vines, the grapes, the grape juice and the wine. We're also talking about the figs for the jam and for the fig cakes. And now you've got a guy who has a vineyard. I mean, he's probably been growing grapes for years. He probably makes the best quality wine. Talking about a miracle, just like Jesus turned H2O to Merlot, water to wine, I bet you anything, every Jewish wedding wanted this wine from this winemaker. Now, when you think about this, he probably has a lot of experience when it comes to making wine and growing grapes and having a good vintage harvest. But the question is, If he's trying something new, like planting a fig tree in his vineyard, meaning majority of the vineyard was for the grapes, but there's probably one spot of land that he thought, hey, you know what, this would be perfect for me to grow a fig tree. Now, he might not know what he's getting himself into, just like you might not know what you were getting yourself into when you started that new job or started that new business or started that new relationship or even got married and started that new family. You didn't know how much hard work it was going to take. Well, look what it says. He's so frustrated because for three years I've been seeking for this tree to produce fruit and there's been none. So he wants to cut it down. He says, why should it even use up the ground? Meaning the water that's watering the soil, why should it be wasted on a fruitless tree? But then the worker says, no, sir, hold on. Let me fertilize the tree. Give it another year. And trust me, if it doesn't produce fruit by then, There's no need to worry about it. We'll just go ahead and cut the tree down. You know, sometimes we say we've done all that we can to create productivity. But then we have to ask ourselves, maybe there's another option. Maybe you have planted the seed and grown the plant. It's become a tree and it grows branches and there's no fruit. Have you ever thought about fertilizing? Maybe sometimes we haven't done everything. See, being productive is not about finding an excuse to throw in the towel. Just like the young man that works for Apple that asked me, is Israel looking for any reason just to have war with the Palestinians? I have to say, no, not for any reason. It's like when you've exhausted all other options. How many know even in battle, there's rules of engagement? And you have to exhaust all the other efforts first before you do that final step. Well, this was the final step for this vine dresser. Maybe we should fertilize the plant. So when you think about this parable, what you might not know is there's some history here that we have not learned about. So what I'm going to do is take you to some rabbinic writings. In Bemidbar Rabbah 2114, it says this, The Holy One, blessed be He, said to him in Proverbs 2718, he quotes, 
He who tends a fig tree will enjoy its fruit. Hear that? If you take care of the tree, you get to enjoy its fruit. It's kind of like if you take care of your marriage, you get to enjoy that matrimony. If you take care of your children, you get to see those children grow up and become fruitful and productive. You get to enjoy the fruit of your labor. So whatever you put hard work into, you get to enjoy its fruit. Even the words you speak, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those that love it will eat the fruit thereof. You know, whatever your lips produce, whatever your thoughts can think, whatever your hands can do in labor, you're going to reap a harvest if you put in the necessary work. I'm telling you, your marriage right now might need some work. Are you willing to work at it? Your business right now might need some work. Are you willing to work at it? Your children right now, they probably need a lot of work. You've seen those grades. But are you willing to help them and grow them and fertilize the soil so it can be richer and the fruits can have more taste? And you'll be able to taste and see that the Lord's blessings are good, that he adds no sorrow to his blessings. Here's another wonderful thing you can get from this commentary. It says, not only will you eat the fruit if you tend the tree, speaking of the fig tree, metaphorically, your sons sat with their own concerns and were not involved with Torah study. This rabbinic writing is saying, if your sons are not doing the work by studying the Torah, they're not going to reap the fruits of their Torah study. In other words, if you haven't learned the lesson, you're not going to do good on the test in life. And whatever we do, we've got to put some hard work and labor to our efforts. Also, in the very next comment from this rabbinical writing of Bemidbar Rabbah, which is a commentary on the book of Numbers, it says, and why is the Torah compared to a fig tree? Now, here's a fun one. The Torah... And study of Torah is compared to a fig tree. It says, since the fruit of most trees, like the olive tree, the grapevine, and the palm, they're all gathered at once, talking about the harvest. But the fig tree is gathered a little at a time, and so too is the Torah. So just like you're going to have to be patient and take time for this fig tree to grow, you're going to have to do the same thing when you take time for the study of the Torah. How much time do we take? Well, remember the parable. Three years, I've been expecting fruit from it. Three years without fertilizing it, though, there have been no fruit on this tree. Well, I'm going to read to you another rabbinic writing from Pirkei Avot, the same writings, the ethics of the fathers, that we actually got the dictum for the dust of the rabbi title of this podcast. And it says in Pirkei Avot 521, it says, he was wont to say, five years old for learning scripture. So the rabbis are saying, at five years of age, you're ready to learn the scriptures. Look how they do this comparison. It says, this is derived from the orla, or forbidden fruit. Orla actually means circumcision, but we'll talk about that in just a second. It says, three years shall be forbidden for you. It's referring to eating fruit from a tree that's only been in existence three years. And in the fourth year, all the fruit should be holy for you to praise the Lord. At this stage, his father teaches him the form of letters and vowels, talking about the Hebrew language. And then the fifth year, you eat the fruit of it to increase for you its produce. Thenceforward, it says, stuff him like an ox, meaning stuff him with wisdom. So he talks about at age five, he studies the scriptures. At age 10, he studies the Mishnah. By the time he gets to age 13, he's going to study the mitzvot, the commandments. 
And so age 13 was a preparation for the beginning of your life, because at 18, they would talk about getting married, and age 20, starting a career. By age 30, you could actually become a teacher, like a rabbi or a priest, and you would be able to be like Yeshua the Messiah that at age 30 started his ministry. And we know at age 12, he was already astounding his teachers before he was age 13, that he knew the scriptures, as it says in the Gospel of Luke. But what is this text saying? It's comparing the study of Torah and a young boy studying the scriptures to a tree in its growth. And what it's saying is, based upon Leviticus 19.23, that you're not allowed to eat the fruit of it for three years, because in the fourth year, you give the first fruits to God, and in the fifth year, you can eat it. Now, this might seem strange for those who are not used to studying Torah, but I want you to see the wisdom of the rabbis. What they're saying is, just like the child is underage and not ready to study Torah yet until he's age five, it's also saying that the tree does not produce good fruit when it's only three years old. This can be compared to a business that is not profitable until the third year. And even banks will not invest in a young business until they see three years of productivity because we have to be productive for a while before we can be able to be investable or to be ready for more responsibility. So when you think about this parable, how much time did Yeshua give the disciples to train them and teach them in the study of Torah? It was over three years. And just like the parable, he says, give me one more year. In other words, who knows, maybe in six months, this tree will start producing. And by the end of that fourth year, it'll be enough produce to first consecrate it to God. And then the next following year, the fifth year, you can actually eat of its fruit yourself. I take this personal. I believe that once I'm ready for producing fruit, my first fruits should go to God. I'm not just talking about your money. I'm talking about blessing your business. I'm talking about blessing your marriage. I'm talking about blessing your children. You know, once you're starting seed fruitfulness, offer up to God the first fruits of your harvest. Have you consecrated yourself to God first before you try to benefit from it yourself? Have you tried consecrating that new idea first to God before expecting great things to come out of it? What if we all started consecrating our lives? You see, when Jesus went up to a fig tree one day, he looked for it to produce fruit and it didn't. He saw great leaves, because in springtime the tree grows leaves, and we know summer is coming when we see the leaves of the fig tree, just like the fig leaves that Adam and Eve used to cover up their sin because they're so large. But it's not until you lift the leaves up that you actually see if there's the first fruit. And when Jesus went to the fig tree, not just the parable, but in person, he found no fruit under the leaves, and he compared it to the leadership of Israel. He says, sadly enough, For three years, I've been looking for fruit on this fig tree, meaning Israel's leaders, and I have found none. And what he did was he cursed the fig tree and it dried up from the root. Do you know, there's always a root to the fruit. And sometimes we try to pluck bad fruit off of a tree, hoping that the tree will be good when we haven't taken care of the root to the fruit. Think about Jesus. He cursed the tree to the root. Because until you get to the root of your problem, why you're not being productive, why you're not growing. You just keep plucking bad fruit of a tree that you keep calling good. But a good tree only produces good fruit and cannot produce bad fruit. 
And producing bad fruit can be circumstantial. It could be a worm. It could be an insect that's gotten in the fruit. Did you know actually a fig is actually a big flower? It's a series of flowers internalized, and we now are able to eat it once it's at full maturation. And when I did some research, I found out that trees that are fig trees only produce good fruit between the third and fifth year. Exactly what the Torah told us. In the third year, don't eat it. In the fourth year, it could be eaten, but you give it to God first. In the fifth year, then you can eat it once it's consecrated to God. And I said that the word is referring to forbidden fruit is the word orla, which means circumcision. So just like the eighth day old child that needs to be circumcised, where you cut off the foreskin and the child is now consecrated to the Lord, in the same way, they would pluck off the bad fruit. After the third year, in the fourth year, you are producing good fruit, but you give it to God first, and then you can reap of its harvest in the fifth year. Very true. What Jesus said, what Moses said, what the Torah says, you can't produce fruit if you're not consecrated to God, at least not fruit that's worthy to be eaten. So how are you going to be more fruitful in your life? How are you going to glean from this? You see, one of the things we learn about this parable is that Jesus, Yeshua, he used parables to teach his disciples. And these parables of a fig tree, even talking about the end of days, people ask me, are we in the tribulation period yet? He says, it's like a fig tree when it's ready to produce its fruit. You start seeing the leaves letting you know summer is coming. And we're starting to see signs of the times, not just the weather change, but there's some changes going on in our world. And I believe you and I need to glean from these parables of the fig tree and start producing fruit. Because a fig tree takes three years to produce sweet fruit, just like Yeshua, Jesus, took over three years to produce disciples. Now, my last thing I want to say today is this. If you're going to produce and be like a disciple of Jesus and be productive, you need the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So there's nine fruits of the Holy Spirit in the book of Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23. But if you understand what they are, they start with love and finish with self-control. What is love? Love is when a disciple knows how to demonstrate and share God's unconditional love to the rest of humanity. What about joy? What is joy? Joy is when a disciple displays a joyful attitude, even during the most challenging of times. I had to put on a happy face when I was speaking this weekend, even though I know Israel was under attack. It's because the joy of the Lord is our strength, and I won't allow the enemy to steal my joy. What is peace? What is shalom? It's when a disciple cultivates a culture of peace and harmony with God and with people around them. Can you imagine if between Israel and the Palestinian Authority, if you think about the individual people, if they just learned to love their neighbor as they love themselves, we wouldn't have this conflict. What is long-suffering? That's when a disciple patiently endures hardships. Think about it. It takes the Holy Spirit's help to do that. And that patience, the same patience we have to have when we go from sowing seed, growing trees, allowing the branches to sprout, and pruning the tree with patience, knowing that it's going to reap a great harvest. So what is kindness? Kindness is when a disciple shows kindness to everyone and expresses that kind of kindness to people around them. 
And then you think about goodness. Goodness is also when a disciple overcomes evil with good. We really need that in this hour. We need to overcome evil with good. And then there's faithfulness. What is faithfulness? Well, that's the strong convictions of a disciple, that when we allow faith to arise, our convictions of faith, to produce proven character. How about meekness? Meekness is when a disciple stays meek and humble, teachable at all times. You know, this is what gives us the ability to harness our greatest strengths. And finally, what we need more than ever, and what we probably really need among those in Israel today, is a little self-control. Because a disciple that learns how to control their emotions and their responses, they have the power from the Holy Spirit to control their actions. Yes, Israel needs to defend themselves. Just like in America, we would defend our nation if we were under attack. But when it comes to the individuals, we have to learn to love one another, love each other as Messiah loved us, love our enemies and pray for our enemies. And let's pray for the precious Jewish people. Let's be that person that knows how to be a fruit bearer, productive in every area of our life, in our prayer life, in our worship life, in our character, in everything that we do. And even we give an answer, like to a young millennial that says, hey, is Israel trying to start a war with the Palestinians and finding any excuse? No, let's be patient. And let's show them what the scripture says. Because I really believe that Yeshua wants disciples that know how to be fruitful and productive in every area. Today, I hope you've enjoyed this lesson on becoming a disciple of Yeshua, on becoming a fruit-bearing disciple. And I pray that you get ready for episode number nine in our second season, because we're going to learn so much about being a truth seeker. And I'm probably going to share some more truths about what's going on with Israel. And I can't wait for you to join us. I want you to know the truth and not believe a lie, whether it's about God's people or it's about your individual personality and character. Don't believe the lie. Accept the truth and be a truth seeker. Can't wait for next week. Can't wait for our next episode. In fact, I can't wait to drop some extra bonus information. I'm going to be taking some questions for those that just have questions about what's going on in the world, what's going on in their businesses, in their marriages, in their life. I even have some questions about what's going on with people fighting cancer during this season because of the cancer awareness of this month. So get ready for some fresh new episodes. We'll talk to you soon. Shalom, shalom. Lehitrot. See you next time. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, follow us for more episodes as you rate and review the podcast. Thank you for listening to the Dust of the Rabbi podcast with Rabbi Brian Baruch Belechi. Shalom. Lehitrot. See you next time.